Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams and Tea Podcast, where we spin the jams and spill the tea. And this week, we're coming at you with a brand new episode, talking about music this week again. Last week was our 100th episode, and we had a bit of a celebration, but now we're back on track. We're going to be talking about the new album from pop icon Beyonce. We're talking about her new record, Renaissance. We're also going to be talking about the newest big heavy release of 2022. We're going to be talking about the debut album from Chatpile, God's Country. Maybe so the best, the best album to come from the band with the worst name in years. <laughs> That's like, I mean, I mean, gen- it's, 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 it's the name is whatever. I'm just marveling at the fact that I don't know. I can't remember the last time we've had such a, a, a vast gulf between like two records in terms of just sound and like aesthetic and no, everything that we're reviewing you, in one episode. You're right. I just, I, I'm never going to be able to move past chat pile. What the fuck is that? It's like, it's French for cat pile. Um. <laughs> I don't think it is. This week on the channel, also, we released on the day we're recording this, we released our second episode in our national retrospect that we talked about sad songs for dirty lovers. So if you're a fan of that album or the national, go check that out and chronicle our journey through their discography. And also this week, uh, this past week, anyway, we talked about uh, angels and airwaves in for the, the greatest I mean, video kind of- ever. The greatest, the greatest video of all time. Like we, we put that get, shit on Letterboxd. Yeah. Yes, it's a cinematic Deserves, achievement. And I would five star it. I would add that to my favorite films of the year list, and it would mm-hmm. beat out The Northman. And if you're out there, like I don't know what an angel in an airwave is, it doesn't matter. Watch it anyway. Really does. You don't need to know anything other than the fact that we're incredibly proud in of that video. And it is. It may be better if you don't done. know. As Jake said, we're going to be talking about two incredibly awesome and incredibly different albums today, both of which actually came out two weeks ago. So we're playing catch up, but that's fine. Um, but first, as always, we're going to get into what we have been listening to in the last seven days. Jake, what have you been listening to? I listened to like one of the things that I listened to that was just sort of like of my own accord that was basically unprompted by anything uh, is an album that I, I really wish we had the podcast around for because it would have made for an all-timer segment. And I guarantee it would be that way just because I am pretty sure I'm the only person who likes this album as much as I do. And it was inspired by the fact that I listened to uh, Flying Lotus's Reset EP. And then I had noticed something. I was just like, you know, that last album that Flying Lotus put out, I really liked that album. Haven't listened to it been a while now but nobody else liked it wonder what what i think of it now and let me tell you flamagra this is a um this album is a disaster um i also unabashedly love it um (laughs) it is very 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 different from flying lotus's other stuff and it has lots of moments on it that I do think genuinely rank above like some of his best stuff. Like there's a part on it where um, there's an Anderson Pack feature that's great. There is a, the like sequel to the Denzel Curry song, Black Balloons on here with Denzel Curry. And that is fantastic. And it's like weird and neo-psychedelic and cool. But the album itself is like, 
there's like IDM in it. There's like electronic fuckery. There's like, there is an entire spoken word track with David Lynch. And yes, I remember that one. Just fire saying, is coming. Fire is coming. Yeah, he just says that like 80 that. times. <laughs> and it's so fucking funny. And then there's also my favorite feature on the album, um, which is probably on its worst song, uh, which is Tierra Whack, who comes on and just like, I have no fucking idea what this bitch was thinking when she got onto this track because there's just part like she's just saying shit on this track and then eventually she starts going titties in his face and it like slows down her vocals. It's with like titties in his face. It's so fucking stupid. There's some songs on here that sound like Flying Lotus literally got like royalty free garage band preset like assets and just like banged on them for two minutes and they're like there are a lot of really interesting components to the album that do feel really cool and that are like really texturally fascinating and then there are other points where it's just so bleepy bloopy and stupid and i love all of it it's i mean again it's a disastrous record. I completely understand the reception that it got. I enjoy it from front to back, though, because it really does feel like it has, like, the cover of the album is this insane, trippy, Hieronymus Bosch-esque thing that's, like, this this series of, like, weird-ass different rooms and art, and it feels like you're, like... You you just did acid and you're just walking through like it's like Alice in Wonderland, but like, you know, Thundercat is also there. It is an ex musical experience that is wholly unlike anything else I've ever had. It is like the album that contains the most unashamedly bad shit that I that I like. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's somewhat of an endorsement on the other side of the coin. Like, I guess this is just the year where all of like the podcore bands that have gone away are returning because uh, an album from a band that we've never really talked about on here, which is like criminal on our behalf. The fact that we haven't done a record club on this album and this band's most beloved record is something we need to rectify like this year. Um, but rock band Anne Berlin is back. They have a new EP out called Silverline. And I took it upon myself to re-listen to just some of my favorite stuff from this particular band, uh, specifically their album Vital, um, which is just one of the best alternative rock albums goddamn ever. The, the, this band gives you albums that are just fucking, they are tight as a drum and vital is fire from front to back like this is maybe the most consistently like energized this band have ever been and that's saying something because they're not like a a, a band that tends to like dabble around with with moderation all that much but this is just banger after banger after banger after banger and it's weird just because like Anne Berlin is a band that I really think haven't gotten their due yet but is like due for a reappraisal just because you look at their like rate your music page and it's just like a litany of just like why why the hell isn't cities bolded why the fuck isn't vital bolded why is it's new surrender music. at like a 3.1 what radio music doesn't radio music doesn't understand emo i and like this Very is a true. band that has such a wide appeal 
that like again cities should be a classic everyone who likes this kind of music like if you like shit like jimmy Eat world this is so you core like it's not even funny i feel like i know riley's heard it and i know connor's heard it and they both mm. agree that cities is a great album cities it's is one of the first albums that... fantastic album it's, it has some of the best songs of its decade on that record like at least two i think the unwinding cable car and finn are just two of the greatest rock songs of all time mm. but they have a new ep out called Silverline, and i was like all right uh, i i wasn't a huge fan of their final album lowborn it was it was good but it's probably like my, like my second to least favorite of theirs so i was just kind of like i wonder what they're gonna sound like and aside from like one or two tiny production nitpicks on like two songs on this four song long ep this shit slaps. I'm so happy this band is back and they actually sound like they have something to, to work with sonically. They they sound as energized as ever. And the song, I mean, it's just, again, front to back fire, shit rules. And also the lead singer is just one of the best rock vocalists like fucking ever. Dude has an angelic voice and he has just like incredible range and it doesn't matter, like, he, he manages to mold his voice in so many different ways across their entire discography. It's just beautiful. Oh, this was only a matter of time. Shocked it didn't happen sooner. But Jake has finally entered his Bob Dylan era. And I don't know why it took me this long. He has an enormous discography. Like, Bob Dylan is the Miles Davis of white people. In that motherfucker <laughs> has too many classic albums. That's um, a sentence that has, I guarantee you, never been said before by anyone. I'm glad to lay claim to it. Doesn't make sense then. because the statement itself makes a lot of sense. It's true, and I'm glad to break <laughs> new ground here. Um, it's it's very weird though. How, how does it not make even... sense? I, I, they have a lot of albums. That's literally the only level on which oh, I no, can... no, they have a lot of extraordinarily albums. Yeah, extraordinarily influential. Two I mean, of the most influential music musicians to ever exist. I, sure, just it, about on the same level, absolute titans of their respective fields. Sure. So, by the same logic, uh, then fucking Lenny Riefenstahl is the German Steven Spielberg. Why did you have to go for a Nazi and a Jew there? Why did you do yeah, that? Okay. Why not, did not, you do that? Just, <laughs> uh, I'm, re I'm really glad whatever comparison you made made you look like a horse's ass. Yeah, let's, let's, let's move on. My point no, here no, I is think, that I think they... we need more comparisons. <laughs> My point here is that there are few people in existence who have made as many beloved albums as Bob Dylan has. And here's the thing. I don't know why it took me so long, just because before Life Itself, I did love Blood on the Tracks, which I did re-listen to to sort of kick this off, just because that's an album I've loved for a very long time. And like, relatively speaking, it was like, you know, Tangled Up in Blue was the first Bob Dylan song I ever remember hearing. And I spun that like three times this week and even uh, went out of my way. The, the most, uh, the highest rated bootleg on Rate Your Music is actually the New York sessions of Blood on the Tracks, where the recording is a little bit more intimate sounding. Uh, it's 
preferred by some people. Um, and I don't know if it's just me having the original version in my life a little bit longer, but I do still prefer that one, even if there are lots of choices and occasional slight lyrical changes on the uh, other version of the record, which I would say is like worth hearing. And there's also Blood on the Tapes, which is another bootleg of Blood on the Tracks that is very highly rated. I haven't heard that one yet, but I will just because, I mean, God, this this is an album that was long in wait to get the Jake 10 out of 10 bump, but it finally happened. And God damn, I still love that album so goddamn much. Uh, tr again, trying to pick a favorite Bob Dylan song is like trying to pick a different uh, favorite like Tom Waits song, and then it's just it's just goddamned impossible sometimes. But I think my current favorite would probably be Shelter from the Storm. That's just like after the entirety of Blood on the Tracks, you just get to that like penultimate moment, and it's like a wave. It just feels like a calming ocean of serenity. Uh, and again, that's that's a that is just a, a a quintessential perfect album. And it's probably like I have a lot more great Dylan albums to listen to. I highly doubt I will like any of them more than I like that one. Not saying it's impossible, but it's unlikely. Um, that said, I also listened to Highway 61 Revisited um, for the first time in full, which is just, again, is fucking, he, he kind of moves past protest music a little bit from his earlier acoustic days and sort of goes into sort of full electric Dylan main band mode, but has that sort of raw recording, but also like his song, like every song on that album I would read as being like subtextually political. It's all about, you know, songs about people in power exploiting helpless people. Uh, and it's just, it's terrific. And it ends with um, fucking uh, Desolation Row, which is just, God, fuck. It's, it's, it's a terrific album. Um, and I also listened to uh, the other sort of like really big Cannon Dylan album from this time, which is Blonde on Blonde, which, I mean, I said Blood on the Tracks is probably always going to be my favorite Dylan album. I'll be damned if Blonde on Blonde ain't close though, because that is, that is a, it's a snazzy record. I think that it's undeniably, from what I've heard of Dylan, his most instrumentally accomplished work. Motherfucker is playing the shit out of that harmonica. And just across the whole record, it's just so much fucking fun. There's so much like jubilation and joy in this album. And it's also like, in terms of like stereotypical Bob Dylan songwriting, this is the most Dylan-esque album I've heard from him and that it is just like every single lyric is like it it, it 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 really made me sort of compare and contrast the similarities of Tom Waits to Bob Dylan because I think they have a very similar lyrical style in terms of how they write with this they're sort of like almost like semi-free association that's also just like these really tangly wiry mixed up metaphors and it's just like I understand maybe half of the lyrics on Blonde on Blonde Visions of Johanna is probably my fa second favorite song from Bob Dylan and I don't know a, a goddamn thing about what that song is about after only hearing it like twice like I fucking I, don't, I can't even begin to elaborate on what it is I just know it's immaculate I would say that Blonde on Blonde at least from what I've heard is probably the most Waitsian Dylan record and I think that 
Blood on the Tracks is the most kind of like holistically perfect thing I've heard from him, but I might mm. even like admire, respect, and maybe even just generally put Blonde on Blonde above it just for how complete of a picture of Dylan as an artist i mean any album no single album could ever be a complete picture of dylan as an artist that's just yeah. not something that a single record could possibly do but i think blonde on blonde is about as close as any record i've heard from dylan gets there um because it is the most i mean diverse is, is kind of the wrong word but it is the most like complicated dylan record i think and yeah dylan is an incredibly complicated not only person but songwriter and so uh blood on the tracks is amazing as that is it's a, a far more straightforward record so if you want to get a sense of the complexities of dylan as a person and of dylan as a songwriter i don't think he was ever writing better songs than 65 and 66 when he did highway 61 and this back to back and i think this is narrowly better than highway 61 honestly i actually agree with that i love highway 61 a lot but it does sort of like lack a certain personable quality to it that I find like so much humanity and stuff like Blonde on like if I was comparing it to Waits Records Blonde on Blonde is Bob Dylan's uh Rain Dogs and Blood on the Tracks is Mule Variations I find them to have very similar almost like tones and moods and sort of musical kind of verb you have the one that's like the big like blonde on blonde is like a a giant blues rock party that's like 70 minutes long and then blood on the tracks is just like this really dour introspective semi breakup album that's just i mean it's it's crushing to listen to depending on when you listen to it because i think the coolest thing about bob dylan that i've discovered so far is just that versatility he has with his lyricism of just like Damn, Blonde on Blonde is an album where every single song, I'm like, I, I could listen to this in a year and com come away with a completely different interpretation as to what these songs even are. So I'm really excited to just like delve into an artist that has so, so many more classics. I have like all of the, the bigger ones downloaded. And this was really spurred on by the fact that I read Stephen Hyden's um, ranking of Bob Dylan's entire discography because he's such a big fan. And reading what he had to say about some of those albums, like, first of all, knowing, being a little bit more familiar with Dylan's catalog now and just like seeing what other people think too, that ranking he has is absurdly fucking chaotic. Like, holy shit. After the first three placements, that man is all over the place ranking his discography. And I almost feel like if I listened to all of his records, I would do something similar just because there are other albums of his that don't get like quite as much shine as others. I didn't know that he worked with Daniel Lenoy, for example, on shit like 89's Oh Mercy. And I'm just like, well, fuck, I got to check that shit out because that sounds fucking awesome. And then there's, you know, uh, there's the basement tapes that Bob Dylan was the band. And I had no fucking clue that he had an album like that. I was just like, oh, I just thought that they like knew each other or whatever. But there's like, you know, Time Out of Mind, Love and Theft, Desire, Street Legal, fucking all of the really early Dylan records. Like, Bob Jesus Dylan Christ, it's a treasure trove. Which band? Yes. The band. The band. Which band, though? Robbie Robertson, that Vaughn Helm, that band. Robbie yeah. Robertson, isn't he the guy on uh, that one kids show? Uh, Robbie Robertson. Oh, <laughs> literally, shut up. 
but the biggest thing that I listened to that I sort of raised into like the Jake Cannon officially putting it on my favorites list is an album that August recommended to me a long time ago that I loved initially and just haven't gone back to. And that is Concrete Blonde's album, Bloodletting. Oh, yeah. This is hard. I, is. I don't know why this band isn't bigger because you take one listen to the first song on here which is uh bloodletting parentheses the vampire song which is goofy as fuck and the song's goofy as fuck but also the guitar and bass on this ridiculously hard like this is some of the most like edgy like sonically uh gothic rock basically from this particular era this you know it, it takes the pornography era of the cure and tosses it off a fucking cliff in terms of how like actually gothy it sounds. And it's just front to back bangers. It's fucking blues, gothic rock, post-punk, all these different genre synthesis put together. And it is such a wonderful experience. So much so that I looked and saw it and I was like, wow, this band actually seems to have a lot of good albums. I need to listen to more of them. And I went and listened to the debut album. They're self-titled. And I was kind of shocked to discover that it's like nothing like bloodletting, like at all. Like the gothy parts of their sound is just not here. The, 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 the self-titled Concrete Blonde is like post-punk Fleetwood Mac. It's, it's really good stuff. It's like, it's really interesting. I, I highly recommend it. It's, it's really short. It's not as developed and it's not quite as good as bloodletting, but just seeing where this band started is so fascinating considering when they went they they have a female lead vocalist who's very um very stevie nicks-esque on that first record in particular and then really gets into sort of a Susie sue deeper huskier voice on later shit and so I i'm really interested in exploring more of this band i love this fucking record it's absolutely terrific it's a it's just a great time this is a great like driving album you need something to fucking uh what the fuck is the the fucking american history x in the car when he's just like fuck shit yeah that's what i do when i listen to concrete blonde <laughs> all right i've been listening to a, a lot of music lots of uh vibrations of the air between my ears but not the a lot of music actually because i was out of uh town for most of the week and almost died so that's fun but let's talk about something that's uh not at all related to death despite this fact that it has a song called kill yourself on it andrew <laughs> wk's the mother of mankind this is a compilation album of his material from like 1998 to 2006 of just oh, like wow. unreleased uh, kind of B-sides and stuff from about his career. And uh, I will preface, this is not great. It is very all over the place, as is the way of a compilation album. But if you are someone who is invested in the narrative, a, a connoisseur <laughs> of Andrew W.K. as I am, uh, this is awesome. This is full of just some of his weirdest experiments, batshit insane production. It is amazing that this album is exactly 69 minutes. I got to shout out some great songs on here. Like uh, some song titles on here just make me laugh. Like track nine is just, who knows? 
<laughs> just with a question mark who knows with a question mark and that's the whole song I, i'm a big fan of uh i've got no fear but no, no fear no is spelled k-n-o-w there's some weird moments on here where he'll get into like new york club electronic songs and then he'll have just hard rock songs and then these just wall of sound blistering like what am i even list like a great song in that category of what am i even listening to is uh serenoto where like the whole refrain is just serenoto come get laid but it's like blown out <laughs> and it's gigantic and it like if you have this album anywhere above like 25 percent volume you're going to get hearing damage because it is so fucking loud you know what it's time it's time to talk about the mac return, return of the mac. mac the mac is back and this time it's portable portable sounds yeah that was so slick well done so first off Portable Sounds is uh, Toby Mac's best produced album. Yeah, probably. This act, at least of what I've heard, this sounds like genuinely very slick and polished in places. Momentum had a very scrappy uh, kind of patched together sound. And uh, Welcome to Diverse City had a much more unified but still very scatterbrained sound to it. This is, I think, where his kind of uh, poppier ambitions have finally come to a head. And Mac, Toby, Toby Mac, he, he's got it down because this record through and through sounds pretty consistent. And there were, I'm not going to lie, moments where I got lost in the kind of just pop groove of it. And I was I was with it. Truly Toby Mac's renaissance. Yeah, I this is crazy because this is a toby mac album i was i was with and then you get mm -hmm. to the song ignition and ignition yes! is yes! crazy oh this i is, listened to this song so much as a kid so much he, he's taken like the lincoln park stuff and, and what sounds like splashes of like claudio sanchez vocal intonations mm -hmm. And melding this together on this unwieldy track that is it's kind like of Coheed and Cambria covering Catch a Fire. Yeah. And it's a track that is ultimately, as are the best Toby Mac songs, about basically absolutely nothing. I've heard this song like a hundred times. I've got no fucking idea, man. It, it's it's to, just gotta to turn on the ignition. I have to wonder about the long-term consequences of this <laughs> like it, it may be for the better it may be for the worse but i don't think august is going to be the same person by the end of this <laughs> endeavor <laughs> i'm excited but also scared this is this is awesome this is a great album oh the, <laughs> the, the true dog bit is so funny on here because for yeah. one we get to see true dog grow up a little you know, his voice mm -hmm. is actually way more mature than it was. And there's an absolutely insane line, which Toby definitely wrote. And it's so funny because he wrote it for his son to say, yep. to rap. Sh -sh 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 Shake it. Don't break it. It took your mama 
nine months to make it. <laughs> and this is his son singing this. And this whole track is, it's actually kind of a sweet, cute song with their banter back and forth. Yeah. But that one moment makes it beyond memorable in the in the Mac catalog. I will say, if I have to criticize anything on here, it's that one world. C- come on, Toby. This is getting a little stale. We've heard this same, we've heard this same kind of opening. Yeah. I get it. You want to call back to hey now. I'm tired with it, buddy. You gotta step up your game. No, that's that's about all I have to say about this uh, Toby Mac record. Maybe not not as funny as Welcome to Diversity, but I think in the quality department, he's definitely upped his production game. He's he's got the pop thing down. He he knows what he's doing by this point, man. Truly, what is funnier than Diversity? Nothing. So actually, the only thing funnier than the Toby Mac albums themselves is reading the positive reviews for them on Rate Your Music. The people who give these albums like a nines and tens are like braver than the troops. It's so fucking hysterical, man. The positive reviews on this one are so funny because there's two of them and I'll I'll read them both. Uh, So first, yet another excellent album from Toby Mac. While the filler (laughs) is still present, it manages to be less annoying parentheses and accordingly has me raising the rating a half star and then the next review yes i agree really good sounds that i can listen to over and over again you did it again toby (laughs) i love how that review is just like a response to the one other review and it was made like two weeks after I love that this person from an account that has only rated two albums on their entire (laughs) and one of them is portable sounds and the other one is like a Christian pop punk band called Reliant K the oh my gosh wait the other other guy also has Reliant K rated (laughs) the other guy also has Reliant K rated and wait they have a bolded album what wait they do. Apparently. Ryan K have 2009's Forget and Not Slow Down with a 3.70. Oh, wait. Connor what? has it at a, Connor has it Connor at has it a 4. Yeah, so. so there we go. Holy shit. Four maybe, out of ten, four maybe, out of five. maybe they're actual maybe they're good actually. No. They weren't. They didn't start good. They didn't they didn't start good. Yeah, okay, this, that much. This, this perhaps I've jumped in to Reliant K. <laughs> in their flop era <laughs> i like that some of these album titles are amazing the anatomy of the tongue-in-cheek two lefts don't mm. make a right but three do that's a fucking ass <laughs> <Wicked laughs> album title right there their christmas album is called dick the halls bruise your hand which is actually a great title for an album to be honest this is all fallout boys fault and they've ruined everything. The 2004 album, mm-hmm. K is for karaoke. Jesus. That's another awesome one. This is like the most like twist of fate tangent that we could have possibly ended up on here. And now as a result of this, I'm going to listen to this band that we just discovered well, through God. a random yes. user 
who's only rated two albums and hasn't been on this website for 15 years. I choose to believe that that user is Toby Mac. <laughs> What's funny is that if well, that's it, Toby it Mac, seem... then the Toby Mac album is the lower rated of the two that they've rated, which is just really yep. funny. No, because he's modest. He yeah. uh, He's a very <laughs> modest guy. I'm going to assume that August is done and say that Gorgut's Obscura. Yeah. What'd you think of the record? <laughs> Hard to say. Because um... <laughs> I was worried when, like, not worried, but like, I didn't know whether, I thought you might think eh, too much. Uh, I wasn't, but, yeah, but equally, I thought you I could curious. very much be like, this is God in the same we, way. You know, I'm, I guess I, I fall more towards the, the former camp. It's a little, I think it, it's a little too long and it, at a certain point, it just becomes a little repetitive if you're listening to it all the way through. For the for at least the first couple listens, um, things just kind of start to blend together. Uh, this is where I appreciate the brevity of something like calculating infinity over something like this. But I mean, I mean, like Jeff, Jeff, fucking Christ, dude. I I like I feel like I'm not doing this band justice or Jake's pick for me justice by the fact that I'm like I I am at a loss for words listening to albums like these because like I don't, I don't know how to process this it's just like the grossest shit anyone has ever done with a with a music note it's almost like a litmus test for extreme music listening it's just like how much can you actually tolerate before you're like all right I think, I'm gonna it, go. I think if you like put someone in a room and force them to listen to the song clouded like maybe six times in a row, they would probably be just completely unfixable by the end of that yeah. experience. <laughs> most, most, most normal people. Because there's like moments on this record where like you'll get, because it's like, I mean, we're talking tech death here. This is as dissonant as tech death gets. Like this is like, but also like, it's like dissonant, but it's also like, like the compositions are like, you can tell they're composed. It's just like they're composed with, <laughs> but using the same kind of rules of music composition, except that instead of like utilizing conventional structures of melody and harmony they just essentially do the exact opposite so they like whatever two sounds sound or chords or notes sound naturally good as a progression they'll like just do the exact opposite of that and they'll like or they'll like <laughs> invert those sounds and the whole thing just sounds completely like it's an album that has been physically turned inside out and played in like a a <laughs> i can't even describe it it's like it's it's a whole it's like a normal death metal album but it's been like pitched down so everything sounds wrong they just took yeah the bell curve and fucking inverted that motherfucker the thing about this album is that 
I, not a lot of Gorgots fans are going to agree with me on this, but I view it in very similar context that I do Jane Doe by Converge in that I like I love both, but I certainly respect it more than I like it. And then they sort of take that idea and then elaborate upon it for like the next decade of their career. And I just find those elaborations inherently more interesting. Like, I think you'll probably love the next album in their discography the most so far. Like, I I would say that it's better than Erosion of Sanity. And then you have Colored Sands after that. And I, I just think that both of those albums are like obscura, but like worked into... Just a way that somehow feels more unfriendly, but less dissonant than Obscura is. It's very difficult to actually describe. You'll understand once you actually get there. Yeah, the the, the only other thing I will shout out is I listened to Portor Robinson's Nur- Nurture uh, since, since Riley said uh, that was one album that he, it was Wish That We Reviewed, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That album gives me the same feeling that a lot of like Makoto Shinkai films give me. Yes. It's just, just yes. like just like clean, pure joy tinged with uh just just a, a dash of bittersweetness that is like ultimately feels like you're breathing fresh air for the first time in years. It's this is what it's maybe this is what it's like to be happy. And as such, there are parts of it that make me misty eyed. This is the thing like it's a record that does imbue you with a feeling of great joy. But like most of the songs are really sad. (laughs) Like like if you actually think about what these the songs are about, they're really sad. But it's kind of like in a way that feels like you're finally like you finally figured out a way to kind of reckon with those sad parts of your life and not let them kind of bog you down anymore which is i guess what you know look at the sky the first big song on that record is all about really and then the rest of the record kind of you know retroactively gives that more weight and i bumped that to a 10 this week actually uh which is a long time yeah so uh that, that that's just yeah it's an album that i feel like the longer it's in your life like a friend yeah you know the better the more i guess depth your relationship with it has i don't it's a fucking album but it's fucking it's it's something special like it's it's something you you can hold on to it has the same appeal to me as like most of the gang of youths great songs yeah the gang of youths wow yeah so let's get into our first main review of the day which is The new album from Chatpile, God's Country. Chatpile are an Oklahoma-based noise rock sludge punk band fronted by uh, Randy Rules, a.k.a. Ray Gun Bush. The most amazing. I can't tell which of those names is fake. Yeah. Ray Gun Bush <laughs> is the most amazing name for like a, a sludge punk frontman um, of any Only... Name. Only the second to Luther Manhole. Yeah, the guitarist, <laughs> Luther Manhole. Yeah, that's so good. Which, the, that is a Longmont Potion Castle reference. Wow, oh, okay. Really? Very yes, unsurprising. it's a reference to uh, one of his calls. Re- no, it's a reference to his call Clown Motel, where 
the owner asks him what his name is, and he says, uh, Luther Manhole. Amazing. There's also um, Captain yeah. Ron on the drums, and Jared Stimfel mastered it. Yes, everything that has been said in the last three minutes has been fabricated. So, <laughs> Chant Pile are a band that have risen to quick acclaim. They secured a best new music from Pitchfork, which is a rare occurrence for a noise rock sludge adjacent band. They've really broken through to wider appeal without sacrificing the idiosyncrasy and utterly unfriendly bullishness that has always characterized them this is their debut record that comes on the heels of two fantastic eps they released in 2019 called this dungeon earth and remove your skin please and god's country their debut album delivers on exactly what you would want from a band that released uh, EPs with those titles and then an album called God's Country. This is vicious. This is unhinged music. I am obsessed with this album. I've listened to this album like eight or nine times, I think, since it came out, which is definitely more than the mean for records that we review. And I know we've had it for two weeks, but still, this is an album... I find myself Simple man smoking weed in my bedroom. <laughs> I mean, not only is this a great noise rock album, like musically incredibly accomplished and just very charismatic in terms of the personality of its front man and just the band in general. It's like meme fucking. It's like, it's just like perfect meme fodder as well in a way that doesn't undermine it. The but way like it says, purple man is <laughs> in my room. Living in my Stop head. coming into my Retreat. room. Stop looking at things. That are meant for you. And um, of course, <laughs> the song that it feels like, the other song that it feels like everyone talks about when you talk about this band. Why do people have to live outside? On the street? Why do people have to live outside? I don't want to live outside. We're buildings with heat. We have the resources. We have the means. It's, we have the like, means. <laughs> This, That's this true is, too. Chat Pile are coming straight onto the scene and distinguishing themselves as one of the most unmistakable punk noise rock bands working today. They are just, they have a really inherent talent for just grabbing you by the throat and just bashing your head in with some of the best musical arrangements on any hardcore album you'll hear this year as well as sentiments, lyrics, uh, a general style and appeal that I think will even make them an entry point into this more hardcore area of music for a lot of people who don't listen to a lot of it, which I think is maybe evidenced by the Pitchfork reception. This is a band that understands how to make an impact, what resonates with listeners in 2021, so how to kind of get through to audiences with stuff that's really affecting bite-sized self-aware ironic rye but also just so full-blooded as well in every step like you yes you have the song why which is of course a song about homelessness a song that is like you know already feels like a kind of punk standard and has this approach to its subject matter of like kind of just blunt lack of pretension whatsoever to the point where you know it was almost like underplays its point and as a result of that becomes all the more affecting than it would be if it tried to be like nuanced it doesn't need to have nuance it 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 
takes on a, a kind of a horrific real life topic that is so kind of we're so conditioned to accept as the norm and just kind of like steers at it and makes you steer at it and, and see it for the horror that it is and a lot of the record is in that mode as well it's not all about like you know uh massive sort of social issues or anything like that there's a lot of subtext there uh but a lot of the record one of the things that really stands out to me about it is well first of all reagan bush's writing is I would say deeply disturbing on a regular basis. There's songs on this record like Pamela, for instance, which is maybe my favorite thing here, that immediately mm -hmm. it's skin crawling. Like the lyricism, the sentiment, the way that he kind of just screams, resurrect my son at the end of it. There's like lyricism throughout this record that just, there's enough of a kind of context and framing for it to be eerie and unsettling but also not quite enough for you to fully understand it and it just leaves it in this place of being just really upsetting like um in the song wicked puppet dance which opens with the lines his skin is all fucked up but he cooked a nice batch everywhere in the walls new roach babies hatch she says vain stuff freaks her out so i keep quiet everyone says they can't handle vain stuff till they try it like this really sort of seedy underbelly of you know the american majority essentially that with songs like grimace smoking weed and with lots of the the sense of humor that i feel like this record does have it's just very uh deeply rooted and you kind of have to dig for it a little bit I think yeah, I mean this these guys are the full package. I think that this is as essential as punk or noise music, noise rock has sounded this year in any form. I mean, the 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 obvious other big hardcore buzz band that comes to mind is Soul Glow. And I think this is a record of a similar uh, appeal and quality, if a little bit more in the alternative hardcore sort of less friendly space, I suppose. There's a uh, a lot of comparisons have been made to bands like Daughters and these kinds of like real sort of underground bands with a real history in, I guess, seedier forms of music, I suppose. But Chet Pyle feel like they reinvigorate the type of music that they're channeling in ways that I wasn't expecting a new band to do this year. And I certainly wasn't expecting to get a record that resonates with me like this one does i mean and even if it doesn't like resonate fully with you or you don't get the same sort of like raw rush from it it's still i think a record that will leave an impression on you and kind of whether you like it or not it's really hard to shake off once you've listened to it once or twice it just kind of stays with you and i think there's a lot and I'll go into a little bit more detail as we get into it, but there's a lot that this record has going for it that I think makes it one of the most essential albums of the year, both in terms of, you know, its messages and the kind of subject matter and the topics that it tackles, but also in terms of how it reframes and recontextualizes a particular musical style and gives it an urgency and a kind of rawness that it hasn't really had in the last few years with the, what I would term uh, gentrification of punk in a lot of um, spaces <laughs> that uh, bands that are coming through this year have kind of rebelled against. Agribulls. <laughs> but I was thinking of idols, but yes, them too. Yeah. So, what do you guys think? Um, 
I very much kind of foisted this in your direction. So I'm curious what your guys' take is on this band, on their sound, on what this record is doing. When I first listened to this album, it took me a second to realize exactly what it was doing from my perspective. And uh, this this was, of course, with the song Slaughterhouse, where I, I, you know, it took me a couple minutes. I was like, okay, I I see what they're doing here, but I don't I don't get it. And then Y comes in and I, I get it because the band this reminds me of is Proto Martyr in that they have a lot of the kind of post-punky, very dour, uh, same influences that group has. Uh, Why is a song where I think this band really finds a good way to balance this kind of immediacy, this hookiness, this poppiness, this, I, I guess, accessibility to this more extreme sound, which with that context, it makes perfect sense why a kind of pitchfork-centric audience would respond well to a record like this, because it's not trying to be completely unfriendly. It's finding a merger between, I guess, uh, if we're going to go with anachronistic YouTube comparisons, it's finding a good merger between boogie and pop. Uh, Jake got it. <laughs> Lyricism, as you mentioned, frequently uh, disturbing, uh, grotesque downbeat. I, I did enjoy a lot of the a, a lot of the writing because it really feels like a, a nervous, drug-induced panic attack. This whole album, mm. uh, like all of it, is just like, and I think a lot of that is contributed by the mix, like the guitars. And a lot of the sharper tones are really mixed quite high. And it just adds a great sense of anxiety to the record. You're always on edge when you're listening to it from that shrill kind of ugh, kind of jolt that it gives you constantly. And I, I for one, find that a really uh, endearing quality to the mm -hmm. record that it does. It, it makes you part of the experience almost of, of the music. And I think uh, like one of the reasons why it's really connected with me is in a way that maybe I don't necessarily feel a lot of bands like this really pull off successfully. It feels personal. Like even when stories mm. are being told on this album that are, you know, some form of fiction or some illustration of some. Uh, for instance, uh, scene. the mask, I think is that's a, obviously a story not being told from the perspective of mr bush no but it is like a song that is told in the first person so for instance mm. for the record this is a song uh, from the perspective of the oklahoma serial killer roger dale stafford who i believe murdered dozens of people i'm not actually sure of the specific details but it opens with these like immediately these lines that throw you into immediately into this kind of horrific scene that he is perpetuating open the fucking cash register before i kill everyone in here no don't go to him stay on the ground i didn't hit him that hard and anyway i can hit a lot harder if you want to find out won't matter to me none do you want to see like not only are we you know in this horrific situation but we are perpetuating it we are forced to live in this perspective of someone who is planning to kill and is in the process of doing that and it's really oh, yeah. harrowing stuff 
and it, like it absolutely elevates the I guess personal stakes of the record when you feel almost complicit in the music mm. and, and that's kind of the point I was trying to get across earlier is that a lot of the feeling of this record it feels like you the listener are an accomplice in the music here mm. uh, these this paranoia schizophrenia and just overall mental trauma only exists because it can find an audience within you uh, you're the sick fuck causing all of this and yeah. yeah and that's like it's something that contextually within the record is set up and embellished by the songs and the subject matter of the songs that surround it so like tropical beaches incorporated for instance a song before it another personalized song that is kind of essentially about the pressure of being alive essentially and of all of the obligations and things that come with having to live day to day and it actually kind of reminded me a little bit of Michael Haneke's The Seventh Continent with this like because it opens with this image of like this guy's talking about the ocean and of course this is an Oklahoma band not exactly a place that sees the ocean very much and it's like this lyric the ocean is far away a million miles and my wife and kids it's just me at the gym and like in the seventh continent there's this like recurring image of like a billboard that shows the ocean essentially or shows like a, a getaway and if you know what happens in that movie which i won't spoil you'll know the kind of irony and kind of meaning and, and significance of that icon and it sort of has a similar role here where it's like the possibilities of life are endless but also almost exclusively closed off and it's just this endless drudging routine of bloody sheets making money man on tv haunt you haunt me and the yeah. amazingly just gut-wrenching lyric of this is something i cannot beat and it will for sure destroy what energy i have left inside again no dressing the sentiments up on this record it's real and it feels full-throated and just completely uncompromised and one thing i do love i i have to shout out the uh album cover here which is another particular genius work of uh blending kind of the function of the music itself with the uh band's aesthetic the kind of death metal logo the generic font and then this uh painting of a power plant <laughs> with a portable toilet next to it and that's that's just a particularly funny image that i think does a great job at establishing kind of the uh hellish industrial society we've created but there's also a toilet there it's like a fundamentally absurd cover that like aesthetically designs itself to look as unassuming as possible until you start looking at it and you see the absurdity in mm. it and then and, I think yeah. primes and it for fits the right really with well. the band absolutely yeah. yeah so i mean like, I, I always love when aesthetics can like merge with the actual product being presented because that's just that's an extra level of detail that shows me you care about if you care about your presentation that much it's quite obvious you have a care about the detail of the music itself which evident enough 100 percent, and like i just i there's like lyrics and things in this album 
that it's such a cliche to say this, but like are genuinely haunting. Like uh, the song Anywhere, which I think is another standout on this album. I mean, the opening lyrics here, at first your hand was in mine, dear smiling and walking, then the world split open. I think there was brain on my shoes. Like it's so grotesque and so just completely without warning as well. Uh, and the refrain is just of it's the sound of a fucking gun it's the sound of your world collapsing the world is so still now invaded by hands flailing forming trails before me suddenly broken by screams coming up from the earth standing up from the ground blood on my face blood on my pants running like hell from the sound like functionally this is a record about the the grotesque horrific mundanity and the impossibility of escape from that punishing mundanity and all of the you know ugly sort of capitalistic systems that are structured to keep you locked into that and it is a record that communicates that horror just through this really awful and bloody and violent imagery of like sudden acts of just terrific spectacular pain and suffering that are so commonplace that their horror is just like this constant state that you exist within. And none of that feeling would come through as well as it does if it weren't for the performances on this record, particularly that front man, Reagan Bush. Like the what his vocal tone, the the sheer despair and sense of hopelessness in the way he sings on the entire record is fucking skin crawling like and you and you know what even at that he manages to be a very accessible vocalist i think yeah absolutely Which, like it's it's a weird balance they strike where i would say this album for me was very easy to listen to and it feels like it shouldn't be but i think there's also another level of ingenuity and intelligence that goes into the craft of this album when it is this uh, kind of paradoxical blend of unfriendly and friendly, mm. the, uh, the boogie and the pop. I really like this album, but I can't lie. There, there is a distance I feel from it, and it's very hard to articulate why. I, I think perhaps that like, again, I have to stress, I really like this album. I think it's a very promising debut. But there are a lot of elements of this sound that like August talked a lot about how there's a sort of middle ground that's met between its extremities. And I can't lie, while it does do that and it does do it well, I can't help but feel like they've sacrificed a little bit of intensity for occupying that middle ground. Stuff like the opener, which is a good song, uh, you know, there, there's nothing on here that I think is like mediocre or bad, but there's like, there's so much space between these really heavy sludgy riffs and you know the the constant screaming of just like whenever like a verse actually comes it's like it's really compelling but you know like the fucking just almost at random screams of, of hammers and grease it all feels like it just feels like a song that doesn't quite congeal together for me it feels like a song that exists of like several different instrumental parts that just kind of happen but don't really come together as a coherent whole for me 
And that does kind of extend to other songs on here. The, my favorite songs on here are the ones that are filled with the most sort of cohesive momentum, stuff like the aforementioned Pamela, which I think kind of ends up being some of the most emotional stuff and the most harrowing, both like from a lyrical perspective and from a more like, you know, just in visceral musical experience. Uh, Why is sort of another one that suffers a little bit for me. I love the sentiment of it and I love what it's going for. But it's also just sort of like, it just feels like the music and the lyrics, they, they feel very separate at times like this on the album. And their lack of coalescence just sort of leads me to appreciating this from a distance. Like, I get what they're going for. I like this style and this noise rocky kind of shit. It's just that it feels a little either I don't want to say unconfident but maybe just a little bit slapdash in its construction I mean there are other songs on here like that I find just like singularly harrowing like the penultimate track I don't care if I burn which I think is one of the more focused moments on here of just like absolute visceral terror but I think the and I'm not trying to jump the gun on this but I do feel like a lot of my problems coalesce in the closer which again it's a good song it's also a song that i've been hearing about like just like i've seen people expel paragraphs about how amazing the song is and it's good it's a good ending to the album i don't emotionally connect with it at all like there's just something about this that feels like it, it almost feels like and i get that this is like oh fucking chad yes but it doesn't <laughs> feel musical to me. Like the actual music that's present in this is very like spare in its second half. And it just feels almost incidental. It doesn't really feel like, like, like I get it. And I like the lyricism. I like the contrast of, you know, making this incredibly paranoid panic attack song about seeing an old McDonald's icon smoking weed and him going purple man. Like, very very good it also like when people talk about this song being like harrowing though i'm just like i don't feel that at all frankly like it it it, this whole album in general like the the experience of it being like terrifying or like difficult to listen to or just like uncomfortable none of that really hits for me like it, it just I don't know, maybe I've been conditioned to like a certain kind of noise rock or a certain kind of hardcore music and I expect something out of it that isn't quite fair when an elaboration of its style comes out like this. So it inherently like maybe I have to work for it a little bit more. But every time I listen to it, I just I found myself periodically clueless as to what the band was going for. There's lots of moments where they give you breathing room, but the breathing room doesn't result from like tension dispersal it really just comes from a fact of just like what what exactly is is going on here i just feel like this album needs like a solid tightening and then i would be like yes over the moon about this great album but it feels loose in a way that i can't quite fully get on board with so it's difficult for me that's fair enough jake and if it helps i can completely understand having that experience with it it's just an album that is built in a particular way there's like a, a quality of kind of disorientation that I feel like it's kind of constantly leaning into like certain certain songs will have like very simple and simplistic musical motifs that it will kind of like beat into the ground very purposefully to create this feeling of kind of just 
mundane horror that I've kind of already talked about. So no. I can understand that not registering for everyone. Uh, the comparison point with the closing track that I keep coming back to in my head, and I think it's maybe just because we talked about it recently, uh, is uh, Slipknot's Iowa, the title track specifically on yeah. that record. Yeah, actually. Uh, and it, and whether or not it, it kind of hits you emotionally in the same kind of brutal way that that does, it has the same kind of feeling of claustrophobia while you're listening to it because you kind of more than any other time listening to music with both of these songs you sort of feel powerless and you feel like something really bad is happening to someone like for real and you can't do anything about it and so it's just deeply discomforting to listen to whether or not you emotionally connect to it or not I mean I think maybe even if you don't it might even make it even more sort of like uncomfortable because it's like dude you should like you smoke in the reef. No, I mean, and look, I'll, Jake, I, I will come to your defense because I, I'm not even entirely in a different boat than you because I, oh, okay. I would also agree that I think some of, uh, some of the time that the odds, the inherent odds produced by the kind of uh, dynamic of accessibility and heaviness uh, do leave a couple of these tracks feeling a little hollow for me as well. So... I'm entirely okay. sympathetic to that point and that mm. perspective. Morgan, what are you, what are, where do you come down on this thing? Uh, let, 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 let's, let's talk about the Grimace Man for a second. Um, <laughs> Purple Man! Purple Man! Yeah, no, the, 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 the idea that this is harrowing to some people is as darkly funny to me as the song itself like, no, like it's, I don't it's, know. it's 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 again like we talked about with the album cover it's like an absurdist horror because like all of the things that are terrifying that the album talks about you know aspects of you know life in a really dead in middle of nowhere you know horrible capitalistic state it's it's fundamentally absurd and stupid and and completely like horrific in a way that's you know incomprehensible and sometimes all you can do is sort of just laugh at it and feel really really uncomfortable i mean maybe i'm just a like a, a fundamentally broken person which <laughs> you know like house that jack built at five stars one of my favorite films so that, that is how i disclaimer. felt at times listening to this where i was just kind of like is there something wrong with me that i don't feel thoroughly unnerved by this like am i just am i that cracked the only song that like deep down I feel is really harrowing is Pamela, which second or third best song of the year for me. Um, yeah, it's my favorite on here. Totally. Jesus. Those fucking lyrics like close my eyes and you're still with me and the trees feel locust buzzing, but I can never keep my eyes closed long enough and no amount of dreaming can bring you back. So I can't remember if I told you I loved you that morning out on the lake, you called for your mother and my heart broke into a million pieces, a kind of darkness you just never get used to. So I stare at the lake, biding my time, waiting to die. Wonder if all this pain I carry is strong enough to lift your body from the water and make you be alive again. I think stupid things like this all the time, but I would gladly trade my life for yours. If only the water could bargain. If only they had been watching, I can't turn back, only face forward. I mean, God, you feel no, like I, you I, shouldn't I, be listening to this. 
I've, I will be thinking about the uh, if only the water could bargain line on my deathbed. Yeah. Like, fucking Christ, dude. And, and on that song, almost more than any other song on the album, I think, the, this just sounds unbelievable. That, that balance between appeal, but also really extreme unappealingness is, I, 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 it's so easy to see how that could just come across as confused, but it is so much of what makes this album hit for me. It's, it's so fascinating to actually work through and some of the, some of the moments are genuinely so bizarre and like almost feel like off the cuff even that that in particular is why i feel like the uh, grimace is way funnier to me than it is like genuinely harrowing <clears throat> because so much of it feels like homie just walked into the booth and did a, some homer simpson screams and walk back out Um, it's it's like such it's a song that exists in such a like conflicting state of for me anyway equal parts you know very tongue-in-cheek absurdism at at the silliness of all of it but also like there's just moments in the song like when he's like i don't want to be alive anymore do you it's like i I make it sound funny just by singing (laughs) it like that but the way he sings it is like it's very uh, Lil Ugly Mane, this whole <laughs> album, kind of, in a very perverse way. It's like if he made noise rock. Yeah. Um, Little that, Ugly yeah. Mane if he was white. But there's like, yeah, <laughs> I actually respect this song more and more, like the, the more appreciation I have how funny it is. Like, I'm trying to kill myself if you don't mind. That's why I locked the door. <laughs> I just need some privacy. If you mind, I'm going to open the window now and jump out face first. I know we're not that high, but if I do it right, I could break my neck. It's really clunky and it kind of speaks to, you know, how like awkward it can be to like exist in that sort of manic state. It's not this kind of clear headed state of, of dead seriousness. It's confusion. It's mania it's yeah i mean it's it's every everything about the song just feels like a bad trip but like when the weed or whatever it is wears off and you realize you're still having that bad trip and then that bad trip is actually your life (laughs) and (laughs) i also haven't even talked about another standout on this record the first song slaughterhouse which comes in with this like particular introducing this particular production style and industrial grind beat that's actually straight up reminds me of early swans and even in the lyric lyricism as well because it's a very minimal lyric lyric it's a very minimal song lyrically and it's a song that's obviously about an abattoir and like being inside an abattoir watching animals get slaughtered just lingering on those details like hammers and grease over and over again and um again, the way he says that sometimes is so funny because he just doesn't enunciate so occasionally he's just like <laughs> and you have to kind of take his word for it that that's hammers and grease yeah <laughs> and very, he'll just uh, like very avant-garde and he'll fixate like 
on these details as well that just give it this kind of sick grotesquery all the blood and the fucking sound man you never forget their eyes everyone's head rings here there's no motherfucking exit the sad eyes the screaming more screaming than you'd think uh you never forget their eyes there's this moment where he's like sat saying all this stuff and then he just stops to go fuck <laughs> it's just the <laughs> most like <laughs> i mean it's like he's reading his own lyrics for the first time on so much of this album it's like <laughs> and like shit. That, that, that the song uh, <laughs> I don't care if I burn as well like this really like non-musical just kind of like spoken word piece where he's kind of just having a bit of a meltdown and like in the background you have these really unsettling like uh treated sounds that I it sounds like fire yeah. crackling but it also sounds like it's been like super pitched and distorted to sound like it's actually the fabric of the atmosphere of the song is kind of like ripping apart and there's a moment and again like it's absurdist kind of hilarious and also like not, but not in a way that undermines it like the moment in the song where he just like randomly yeah. screams and you're like God. What the fuck and it's it's just you, you have no idea how to process when that first it. came on and it, I, all of this just makes it feel more real than someone who is just like trying to Lawrence Olivier this shit or whatever I don't know it's it's I cannot overstate how much it works in this favor, how much the singer in this band really does just sound like a, a guy, just a, just a guy. <laughs> I feel like Chat Pile is a band that could only exist in the 2020s right now. It's just the, the world is genuinely just so fucked and absurd that we're just listening to this now and being like, yeah, okay. It's one of the first things like this to come out that hasn't been like unbearably obnoxious to me, which yeah. I think yeah. makes so much of it well truly great. Alongside you know, a select few other bands that have come out right now that I would say stand out for exactly that reason. They really get something and do it really well in a way that a lot of bands fail to do and also feel like they could only exist in this particular juncture of history. Soul Glow and yeah. Turnstile are the other bands that come to mind, even though they both have their very own distinct you know, variants of hardcore that are different from this. But I'm proud to say I think Chat Pile belong in that echelon uh, a really great addition to this new wave of sorts of like hardcore adjacent bands of various stripes getting breaking through more and more and making some of the most essential quote unquote music of um the time at the Kids moment who were so. pissed off teenagers who listened to a so much converge and became pissed off adults and started their own bands yeah so and yeah. then truly a lot truly of weed. fucking yeah truly <laughs> fucking in, in Morgan's words, my uh, God, man, core. imagine the reefer. <laughs> I don't have um, to. Anyway, favorite tracks and ratings for Chat Pile's God's Country. Jake, why don't you go first? Goodness smoke that shit. Now I'm on the James and Deep podcast. My three favorite songs are going to be Pamela. That's probably my favorite thing on here. Yeah, I don't care if I burn and uh, wicked puppet dance. That's also a, a real a song that I actually think comes together extraordinarily well. Um, least favorite song on here is probably Slaughterhouse. 
and I give the album a six and a half, but a, an effusive one, I suppose. All right, August. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, my favorite songs on here would have to be uh, "Why," "The Mask," and uh, "Grimace underscore Smoking underscore Weed" dot JPEG. And least favorite would, you know what? I I'd say my least favorite is "I Don't Care If I Burn." I'd give it a seven. All right, cool. My three <laughs> favorite tracks are uh, "Toto's." Pamela. Uh, 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 the the grimace and why the grimace and uh, least least favorite I will also say I don't care if I burn but like fucking everything hits on here man something just has to come in last I will give this for now a nine but like it's already grown on me since I settled on that rating. So I just forget. Uh, to... All right. My three yeah. favorite tracks are, man, this is tough. Pamela, Anywhere, and Grimace Smoking Weed. JP. And, no you know, I scores? don't have. I don't have a least favorite track, I don't think. Uh, I am going to give this a 9.5. This has rocketed its way up to my top five albums of the year. Uh, or top three, maybe even, potentially. It's kind of at four at the moment, but it could potentially overtake Soul Glow. We'll see what happens by the end of the year. But that means that overall, we get an average rating of 8.0 for Chat Piles, God's Country. All right. Now let's move into our second review of the day, which is, of course, Beyonce's Renaissance. And for our review of Beyonce's Renaissance, we are joined for the first time by friend of the podcast, uh, friend of, of, of us all, Cole Duffy. The man himself, the biggest Beyonce fan, certainly that we'll ever have on this show, but potentially in the world. <laughs> Cole, first of all, thank you for joining us. Um, why don't you thank tell you us a little bit me. of the what we need to know about <laughs> what people might not know about Beyonce, what we need to know to kind of understand what this record's all about, where this record comes from, and um, yeah, you can get into your own thoughts on it as well if you want. Um, I'll leave the floor to you. All right. Uh, the first thing you need to know about Beyonce in the context of this record is that when she was younger, she had an uncle, or really technically an older cousin. His name was Johnny, and he was a babysitter for her and her younger sister Solange for many, many years. Um, tragically, he is no longer with us. He passed away um, from an AIDS-related illness in the 1990s. But he was the first person to introduce Beyonce to house music, to ballroom, to gay culture, which has been a huge influence throughout her career. Maybe in some obvious ways, for example, her performance style is very Tina Turner, very drag queen. And even in some other ways, such as having a persona or an alter ego, Sasha Fierce, is also a huge part of gay culture. And this is the album where all of her influences from that culture come front and center more than yeah. any other record she's put out. 
yeah i will say this off the bat as someone who isn't as well versed in and beyonce's music as you all know i've certainly followed each release she's put out since her self-titled record in 2013 uh you know at first i was as a somewhat who someone who's a little bit more naive to this to this culture and, and the history and stuff I was when I realized that what Beyonce was going to be doing is essentially making a house record, more or less. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was a little bit like, oh, okay. Like, and I was somewhat cynically, I tied it in my head to uh, the new disco revival that has been a big part of pop music in the last few years. And it wouldn't really, especially this was really just off the bat, off of the basis of Break My Soul, which was, of course, the lead single, a huge song. And then it wasn't really until the record dropped and I was able to listen to it in full that I started to appreciate that this is quite, it, this isn't really connected to the new disco movement at all. It's very much its own thing. It has its own set of reference points. It has its own style and ways in which it's kind of drawing on the past. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more from you about what you see as some of the key influences on this direction for Beyonce and, and why essentially it makes sense that Beyonce would be kind of pivoting full bore into the sound uh, in 2022. Big part of that is because of the pandemic, she mentioned that she had wanted to make an album that was a lot happier. She wanted people to dance and feel some kind of joy again, particularly with the past couple of years in our lives. Um, and that new disco revival is a factor. Um, you know, Kylie Minogue dropped disco in 2020. Jessie Ware dropped her album. Um, Lady Gaga released Chromatica. The difference between this album and the rest of the new disco records that have come out is that this is so immersed in its references and in its culture that it feels genuine. Like, sonically, for a pop star's record, I haven't felt an album speak so closely to us since maybe Erotica by Madonna, which is like 30 years old at this point. And it makes sense, you know, going in this more happier direction um, because her last couple of albums have been very serious. Um, Her self-titled album had a very dark sound to it, talking about postpartum depression and infidelity and feelings of loneliness and a marriage. And then Lemonade, of course, is all about the fact that Jay-Z cheated on her and also the history of Black women in America, which is also a very grim and serious topic, unfortunately. So it makes sense from going from these darker records to something a little bit happier in the light of something such as her album Four, which was also a very old school record when it was released in 2011, um, in contrast to the EDM and pop that was dominant on the charts at the time. And Mm -hmm. also more like her second album, B-Day, which was a lot of funk and soul and loud and fun. Yeah, one of the things that really struck me while listening to this, obviously Beyonce has always been an artist with, like, so this is a vast understatement, but a huge degree of confidence and assertiveness and, you know, a sense of, of ego that's very, very befitting of the kind of pop star and icon that she is. But one of the things that really struck me about Beyonce, particularly on this record, relative to some of the other things I've heard from her, is how aggressive she is. And it's almost like, uh, there's an energy that she has here, no pun intended, that like <laughs> it, it definitely feels like Beyonce, you know, she's been warming up, she's been off the scene for a while, she's got a lot of shit to say, all that sort of stuff. But like yeah. more than ever, like uh, the sequencing and the way that this album is constructed is almost gives you a feeling of like 
Beyonce kind of roaring to life and kind of ramping up the intensity and aggression and like just sheer energy of what she's doing more and more as the record goes on as well. Like it starts off, you know, it kind of, I wouldn't say it really kicks the door down. It kind of starts off in a somewhat more sort of just sort of starting subdued. the entrance a little bit subdued sort of tone yeah. with I'm that girl. And then Cozy's kind of like, it's sort of establishing that mindset that you've been talking about of, you know, this sort of comfort level that, that Beyonce has obviously achieved and, and this sense of, with which she's able to kind of own her influences and where she comes from and the kind of person that she is. And then as the record goes on, it's like Beyonce is feeling herself more and more with each song almost. And then it, what really strikes me is when you get into the back half of this record and there is like, what I would say is a, a genuinely a dominant sexual aggression that comes through in a lot of this. That's not new for Beyonce, of course, but like, it feels like she has less of a filter almost. And it's kind of just like, there are points where she's kind of like, she has things, certain lyrics that she says, things that she says where I'm like, oh, you've really just, you're not, you're not dressing this up at all. You're just fully. She's in don't hurt yourself mode for the entire back half of this record. Well, it's like, it's, it's also like, it's also, it's something you were saying before Cole as well. It feels like she's kind of embracing the camp and the sort of extraness of where she's coming from and where this music comes from and the sort of style of performance that this kind of music demands she's embracing that more than i have heard from her maybe the motion that she has in a really long time and that makes beyonce feel i think super reinvigorated uh, on this record uh you know i'm curious where you how you feel about like the performance that she brings to the table here and the energy that she's bringing on these songs it's the exact level that's needed because the way that this album is structured, it's like a night out at the club or a night out at the ball. So you get a song like I'm That Girl and it's a little bit more subdued. You know, the DJ is just starting up and then Cozy brings in that setting of, you know, this is what the album's going to be like. And this is where you first begin to notice Beyonce's, one of Beyonce's most underrated skills. She is an archivist. She's a historian. So she brings in T.S. Madison, how she's Black and how she's comfortable and proud in it. And then even in the ver in a verse on Cozy, she weaves in every single color of the updated Pride flag. So she's saying, this is for my gay fans who have been here since day one, all the way. And that energy keeps ramping up throughout the album. You know, as the night goes on, you get drunker and drunker, you start having more fun. Until finally, it kind of peaks for a quick second in the outro of Heated, where she's straight up just chanting like an MC at the ball, giving you all kinds of energy, you know, like just to straight up say, Monday I'm overrated, Tuesday on my dick, you flip, flip, flopping ass bitch. <laughs> it's so good. Like, and then she even brings in the fan class. Yeah, it, it's, like, it's ridiculous. Like the whole experience, the record really embraces again a certain level of camp excess that like you've got to just fully commit to if you're gonna yeah. you can't just evoke you know this kind of style of music you need to like you need to live it you need to imbue it full it through through and through and like look i'm not a i'm not a prudish person i don't think of myself as a prudish person but there are moments on this record where i'm like oh <laughs> Okay, uh, you know, yeah, Jay Z like, is getting pegged every single night, so yeah, you know, obviously, I mean, like, 
like, if you weren't sure before, you're fucking sure now. Like, well, I mean, the only area in which I would disagree with that is I'm not sure she's sleeping with Jay-Z anymore. <laughs> I mean, who are we to speculate? But I mean, when you hear a song like Church Girl, for instance, there is just no Church Girl and Thick, like songs like that, which we're not only is she leaning into this like a super risque sort of um, style of performance as well that feels like it integrates you know particular artists in the queer community and and you know black female rappers obviously uh, Big Freedy is sampled on Break My Soul and there's echoes of sort of underground modern female black artists like Cupcake and all these sort of various figures who make their whole artistic identity like this excessive, dominant, uh, violent force of will power, essentially, that is oriented very strongly around, around their sexuality and around gender yeah. identity. And yeah, Beyonce just so thoroughly leans into that. And one of the ways that she makes it work so well, one of the things that complements that is as a performer, as a vocalist, as a rapper, there's super, uh, and again, I, <laughs> I don't, it's very easy. I don't want to come across as though I'm like, you know, just completely going to just blow Beyonce nonstop because I, I don't think this is a perfect record personally, but I do think that one of the greatest strengths of it is that versatility and performance that where Beyonce is able to slip into these various different modes. And for me, now I haven't heard every Beyonce record. I've heard, you know, I'm mm. familiar with all the big songs from her 2000 era and I've heard her last yeah. three or four records. This is, I think, the best album front to back that I've heard from her. The one at least that I like the most, the one I find the most satisfying is a front to back listen. And part of that is the fact that while she's always been versatile, I feel that she's never pulled off that versatility in an album format as consistently excellently as she does here. Like we're talking about how this is a house record that very much evokes this particular style of music and this kind of musical history, but Bjork, uh, Bjork. I was so talked about Bjork heaps lately, I almost called her Bjork. Um, Beyonce, rather, <laughs> brings into this whole aesthetic, you know, through and through, you never forget, like, how big a part of her identity hip-hop is as well. And though this is a record with, you know, no, I don't think there's any features on this album. There's lots of sort of... There... There's a couple of features. Okay, so there are a few sort of features per se, but there's like, you know, it's a dominant force in terms of performance and rapping. Like Beyonce is doing that really frequently on this. She's bringing that energy. She's yeah. bringing that hip hop vibe into this house space as well. And in so many ways, you know, it feels like a confluence of so many different styles of you know, music that oriented and originated in Black communities and in Black spaces, that Beyonce is yeah. kind of creating this miasma where it all sort of starts to come together. Yeah. All that we're missing is Beyonce's straightforward, like, rock and roll record, which we essentially got with Don't Hurt Yourself on Lemonade anyway. Also, that's coming. There's still Act 2 and Act 3 to go. Yeah. So, so there's two more records oh, on the yeah, way. That's right. I want to see her like going full on like Chuck Berry sort of like blues rock sort of. Oh, I think stuff. she will. <laughs> I, I think she will. The the amazing thing about this record is the fact that you can bounce from, you know, modern trap to 70s funk. I mean, she got Niall Niall Rogers and Sheila E on a song. 
yeah of all people and then and grace jones as well on, um, move i i that's the mm-hmm. one i was trying to think of that i forgot yeah. grace jones is like and grace jones crazy. doesn't leave the house for just anybody no like she's gone on record saying that rihanna failed to copy her and that lady gaga has no soul behind her eyes so <laughs> grace jones doesn't Holy like anybody shit. yeah so the fact that she was able to pop up on here that says something yeah, it reminds me, like, I saw a thing the other day, like a headline where, uh, I can't remember what the context was, but, like, Chaka Khan was asked if, like, she would work with Ariana Grande, <laughs> and, like, her response was just, like, fuck off. Fuck Essentially, her. she just said, fuck her. And it was, like, yeah. yeah, there's this, like, sense where if you can get that cosign from the elder statesman type artist, or elder stateswoman type artist, rather, then that says something about, you know, the extent to which it's not just Beyonce posturing and kind of putting on all of these aesthetics and, and sounds and styles of this earlier era. Like she's getting these endorsements. She's getting this, these cosigns and she's getting this, you know, she's managing to achieve a sense of recognized authenticity and what she yeah. does that, you know, not many artists get, not many artists do. It's very hard, especially when we live and like when the pop, the realm of pop music right now is like so, dominated by pastiche and throwback and the integration of elements from three or four decades ago and the revitalization of them where so many artists base career decisions and moves on you know this what has been successful in the past and what will evoke nostalgia and all these sorts of things Beyonce's coming in here and doing that sort of thing but actually like feeling like it's not just a callback but actually a progression she's moving taking all of the stuff from the past and kind of moving it forward. And, you know, I, I like Beyonce. I've always, it, you know, Beyonce is an undeniably influential and just a staggeringly important cultural figure. But this to me more than ever feels like the most fulsome and just kind of like the most successful that she's been at doing that. And I mean, obviously yeah. it remains to be seen the influence this will have and what will happen next as a result of this record and stuff. And, and you know, but it feels genuine and not that i think that you know genuineness is inherently like a requirement to make good music in this vein but it certainly gives it an additional i guess sense of vitality while you're listening to it it really makes it feel and stand out and that's i think like something that one of the interesting phenomena that sort of surrounds this record is like uh when break my soul came out as a single and people were people like "Eh, this is interesting i guess but what is beyonce's in game here and then like the yeah. universal reaction when the album came out was like oh break my soul in really slaps now of the record when and you people get were that like transition from energy to oh it's so good people were completely doing a 180 and i don't think it was even necessarily like just you know the flow in the record where it does flow beautifully but also like once you could see the vision it all started yeah. to make sense i think and yeah. uh yeah and i mean yeah. i get why that was the lead single because it's a song with the most traditional structure you know it's the most radio friendly although that does make the fact that alien superstar is taking off kind of amazing yeah because that song to me is like the most like just like i try to think of words that aren't just cliche but like futuristics not right but like it just feels the most like you hear yeah here beyonce is doing this this this, this and influenced by this, this and this but she's doing something and making sounds that feel new um look 
you and I have dominated this so far. Jake Morgan, like, yeah. what are your takes on on this record? And and because we've talked about new disco on Jams and Tea, it's kind of like house music and our complicated relationship with it in recent years has kind of been a recurring uh, meme on this show. So like, what a with all of that context that we've kind of talked about and all this sort of we talked about Kylie's album, we talked about GC Ware's record. What do you guys think about this album and the context of all that stuff that's come before it, but also coming from Beyonce, who is like undeniably such a force of nature as a personality? Like, how does this record land for you guys? I don't have very much to add about this record. I guess it's not really my area of expertise, so there's not much for me to elaborate on. Uh, I will say the only flaw for me is I think it's a bit too long. Mm. And that sort of hampers the consistent energy that it builds. Otherwise, this is just a great time. And every everyone involved with it, least of all Beyonce herself, is so committed that, you know, it, it, it invokes very much the same feeling that watching uh, Paris is Burning does, which is just a, a joyous celebration of all things in that scene. One more note I will add. I endlessly respect and admire Beyonce's dedication to the album format in an age that is so increasingly bloated for streaming and sort of inconsiderate of that format and what it means. Uh, But to have somebody with her pull and uh, popularity and recognition commit to that format and really make an event out of every album that she releases. I really love that about her and her approach to the craft. Jake, what's your take on this? Um, and what your history with Beyonce? Well, I'm by no means the, uh, I'm far from the committed super fan, but uh, like a lot of people, I think I hopped on with Lemonade because that album was like kind of inescapable when it came out. I feel like people kind of take for granted just how big that was when she dropped that like movie thing. Like it was just, it was all anybody talked about and I wasn't even paying attention to music then. And I remembered hearing uh, like, I remembered songs from that like uh, Freedom. Uh, I remember songs like that. And I was just like really captivated with kind of how versatile she was on that album. It's an album that I actually, I like, I love Lemonade, it's great. And I was just sort of taken aback at how she kind of threw caution to the wind when it came to sonic consistency and was just like, I'm just gonna do any genre I fucking feel like. And she did it amazingly well. I mean, there's a fucking country song on that album. That yeah, Daddy wins. Listens. I was um, thinking about that in terms of when I was thinking about her versatility and other things she could do. And I'm thinking like, well, yeah, there's plenty of things I'd like to see hear Beyonce do, but like, the more I think about it, the more she kind of has done a lot of them already. And I just kind of want more of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the alternate fucking cover arts for Renaissance is actually fucking her in a cowboy hat on that horse. That's it's right. Really fucking yes. Yeehaw. Uh, there it is. There it is. Um, but regardless, um, I heard Break My Soul and I was like, okay, I'm into this. I like this. Uh, despite, I know uh, a, a lot of people give me shit for um, not being 100% in the house music, but I like it when that's sort of an element of the sound, when that's kind of not in the foreground and that's just sort of in the mix with a whole lot of other different things, which I think is one of the greatest strengths of this record. I, I expected 
to like this album as a fan of Beyonce's music, I came away honestly kind of loving it. Look, yeah, the Morgan is right. I do think that it is a 60 minute album that, you know, maybe shouldn't be 60 minutes. That said, I can't really say that the quality for the, any of the individual songs, you know, goes low enough for me to be like, oh yeah, just throw that out and it's a perfect album. It's like, the again, the dedication to the album format here is really something to behold. It's like, the it, there it doesn't like seamlessly transition like it's one big piece of music, but it feels seamless while you're listening to it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really like, you kind of have to pay special attention to when certain songs will start up. And yeah for as like single-minded as this could be in terms of like oh it's Beyonce you know just making like a really like you know just a really danceable record she could do something that's very single-minded in approach and do it well but I think that she takes her versatility as an artist with all of those genre leanings that she showcased on stuff like Lemonade and then uses that in a more like concise and focused way to deliver something that feels honest to what this genre and this world of music exist as, but also to bring her own incredibly versatile spin on it. Like, you know, it begins and it kind of has that sort of sultry or like R&B kind of tone that she's got. And then, you know, later on, there's like an AJ Cook fucking beat on here. It's just like, oh, Beyonce does hyper pop, badass. And I, I have to say, part of the reason why I like this is that Beyonce is the star of the show here. But if we're going to talk about a co-star, the co-star of this album is the motherfucking bass. Jesus Christ, Beyonce is a rich ass woman. And this is an album that could only be made by a rich ass woman because it sounds fucking expensive. And the bass on every single song is fat. It is funky and it it's uh, very, one could, one could very say, literally. One could say thick. It, I mean, <laughs> yeah. And look, the momentum here is consistently maintained. And I gotta say, one thing I didn't really anticipate was just how relentless her dedication to utter tastelessness is on this album. Like, <laughs> she is on one on here. She is, first of like, in terms of, like, the greater world of music, if you're going to make an album that's sort of inspired by the feeling that you got out of, like, quarantine and, like, post-2020, like, if you're going to do that, make an album that makes me feel happy instead of making me feel like shit for once. And then this seems to have done the trick because it manages to be imbued with a lot of like joy and energy and fun and love and most prominently sex. This is an album yeah, with one thing on its mind and that is mm -hmm. sex. Mm -hmm. I think that's really what's been undersold by so many quarantine albums is how obscenely embarrassingly disgustingly pitifully horny it made everyone <laughs> including one of the richest and most influential artists on earth who is just like first of all it's just like i i don't even like sometimes she could be playing with like perspective in her songwriting but it just sounds like beyonce wants to fuck everything on this album men women who gives a shit as long as she's fucking that's all that matters it's she, like there's that fucking paint paint the room pussy pink. Would have loved one of the this album 
Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh, this is like this is her dirty mind uh, for all intents and purposes. This is fucking. <laughs> if, if, Prince, if Prince were alive, he would be on this album. Oh yeah, one hundred percent, no question. I'm surprised she didn't like dig into like the archives of unreleased Prince shit and like buy it so she could like sample him <laughs> on here or something because it sounds like something that would work basically flawlessly and. Like, again, this isn't always, like, my thing musically, but it's just done with such unparalleled fucking confidence that, like, again, most, like, albums that I love are often hampered by a 50-minute-plus runtime, and that is really the only criticism I can level here, but again, there's never a moment where I'm not fully enjoying myself, and part of me feels like the almost fatigue you feel at the end is a very intentional stylistic choice because you know if it's mimicking you going out and you know dancing all night at the club you fucking feel like shit at the end of it because you're tired you sweat a lot and you probably need to go to waffle house so you can eat something absorb the hangover that you're about to get you need to drink water (laughs) (laughs) and there, there are like, again, the, the genre blending here, there's never any one moment that feels like it's focusing on one thing and one thing only. And like, again, the, the, the credits for this album, like all over the place, you got the Nile Rodgers guitars, you got like the A.G. Cook beat, like all kinds of cool shit that feels really modern, but simultaneously sticks it in this like abattoir of timelessness to the point where, you know, there's some dance records that feel heavily indebted to the sound of, you know, the world that created them. This doesn't feel like it's going to be one of those records. And even if it is, 20 years from now, tell me to my fucking face a song like Virgo's Groove doesn't make you want to shake your ass. God, that song fucks. That is my favorite song on the album. That's also my favorite. It's mine as well. (laughs) It is unbelievably fucking funny. My only only qualm with that song is that it's not like five minutes longer. (laughs) I know, I need the And it's a six minute minute song. Please. Like, honestly, like, don't, I, I don't even care that if it's like some songs on here are too long, I would still listen to a slightly longer version of it. And hell, even though it does like have that sort of problem, it hides so many great songs in the back half, especially the final two tracks, Pure Honey and Summer Renaissance, which are just fucking neat. And I also just, there, it, I'm sure that some of it is very intentionally just like, you know, single minded horniness on Beyonce's part. But this album is a, this is a, this album's a riot. It's so funny. <laughs> like Beyonce is hysterical on this record. And I'm pretty yeah. sure she knows it, especially on songs like America's Got a Problem, which again, <laughs> you see that title and you're like, oh, we're going to like, we're going to get into the, to, to this aspect that maybe we haven't been talking. Cause like, I don't want to say that this album isn't political because I think another thing that Beyonce does a great job of is like, even though this is, you know, a mindless dance album, it's not something that she as like an artist when constructing it feels as though that is an excuse to make it less thoughtful when making it. Because, you know, that's like with Lemonade too, is that that's an album that's about a hell of a lot more than what it's about on the surface. Like how Cole mentioned, it's just like, yeah, it's about Jay-Z's infidelity. It's about her falling out from that and like trying to pick herself back up. But it's also about, you know, the larger context of black women in America and how they've been treated by men. 
And I feel like this album too is sort of, you know, it inherently draws from the subtext of queer history and, you know, uh, dance, which has always been a sort of haven for people. And I feel like it sort of takes that and pushes it to the forefront. But on songs like America's Got a Problem, it's just an excuse to kind of subvert your expectations when looking at a song title like that. And it's like the problem that America has is that Beyonce is not fucking enough, goddammit. And she should be. <laughs> and look, I'm not saying that this also feeds into a little bit of my in in it's no shocker to anyone that I have a bit of a complex when it comes to very powerful women. Beyonce is exploiting that complex on this album for the entire duration. And it, it, it look, step on me is all I'm saying about that. We're uh where this album really like gets me and like where I'm really like locked in is like just the final five tracks on this thing. I think, cause my only issue with this album is that kind of, it goes from there's a, inconsistency isn't the right word in the early half, but it kind of like it shifts around in the vibe and sometimes certain songs land for me much more than others. Slows but, down a little bit in the middle with the plastic off the sofa. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's a good song, but uh, what, the last five songs to me are like just a consistent run where I just I, I'm fully locked in and I'm not taking out of it for a single moment. And it is, all of them are about yeah. fucking. Uh, I, I love um, I know that it's like a it's a reference and it's got like a, a point and an underlying like uh, meaning in terms of like uh, the war on drugs and stuff. But like this, I, I really yeah. like the. Um, I mean, the, she the calls sheer... herself Tony Montana. The sheer like uh, the ner- sheer nerve of like calling a song "America Has a Problem," which I was like, I saw that in the track list, and I was like, mm, "What's this going to be?" And then the the fuck it, the song is just about having sex, <laughs> and the like you said, Jake, <laughs> the problem is that Beyonce is not fucking someone right this second and this needs to be resolved. And I just love that. I love the sheer cheek of that. Uh, and then like yeah, coming off the back of thick and all up in your mind, and then. I mean, just this album really finishes on a high with Pure Honey, which is like amazing. And then Summer Renaissance, which is like just the perfect closer for this record. Just again, the most memorable moment of this entire album to me is just the way that she kind of, that, the way that she kind of just descends from that high of, uh, you know, can I take you all the way to your sexy motherfucker? <laughs> just the way she just kind of just growls yeah that is like you feel something shift when she sees her her vocal versatility on this album is just nuts like we talked about how you know she can obviously sing she can obviously rap she's all over the goddamn place on here god damn it's like the ultimate flex as well you get to this final track and she's like uh, interpolating uh, i feel love on this song which uh, yeah it's which like is just, the just the ultimate flex. Hit. yeah all right, you, it's you, the you, ultimate dance track like all the dance music comes out of i feel love yeah exactly there's no dance music and, without it and she she does that sample and she saves it for the very last track as like an album that's full of flicks after flicks after all this sort of stuff. And it's just the ultimate one at the last kind of moment. And it's just, it's absurd. It's it's the, the, the sheer nerve of it is, un, is mind boggling. And on top of that, on top of that killer sample, she then asks for a round of applause. <laughs> which is well-deserved, then goes through, you know, like a chant of response, almost gospel-like thing, before suddenly launching into every single Hakatora name in the world, 
flexing on the fact that she can afford all this stuff, which, you know, we all have that fantasy. I mean, look at how I'm dressed. I want to have that fantasy too. And that album really lets you feel that fantasy. But then to flex and say, oh yeah, my Birkin bags, fuck them. They're all in storage. I don't care. And that's like, that's the, like the last, almost basically the last line of the record as well. So she's leaving. The last line of the album is I'm in my bag. Yeah. Like legitimately. Look, no one should be allowed to be that rich. But she already is, so it's fine. She's the exception that proves the rule. That's that's Beyonce in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, do I think the world would be a better place if Beyonce was president of the United States? Probably. We would be better off now than, than we are now. Yeah. If, if like, Ashes deadite hand from evil dead 2 <laughs> that was lopped off was the president of the united states would be better off look so this album if i could sum up this album is essentially like it is both the climax of you know a long simmering revival and uh well, not even necessarily a revival but a kind of movement to prominence of very particular influences from the 70s and 80s it's both the culmination of that and also uh, one fell swoop type thing that renders all of it irrelevant and so even if it's not my favorite album that kind of uses these kinds of aesthetics in the last few years it still is undeniably the most definitive uh, and Beyonce has the cachet to pull that off as well as not necessarily having to rely on that cachet for the album to do that it actually lives up to it musically so yeah it's it's fantastic any sort of closing remarks you want to add on that Cole? I mean, I think it's telling that a certain Canadian rapper rushed to release their house record before this came out and panic. Um, I mean, literally, like, time proximity is the only reason that conversations are even being had where these two albums are mentioned together. They're, like, completely just from different worlds. Like, I think maybe the most amazing thing about this album is that it is the best album of her career. And it's doing exceedingly well. She's topped the Billboard Hot 100 for the first time. Um, as a solo artist and single ladies, um, she had two other songs go number one in the meantime, but those were collaborations. And she's 40 years old. 40 years old is when the general public and the radio stops listening to women. It is exceedingly difficult for women over the age of 40 to still continue their relevance and success. There's very few exceptions. Um, you know, for example, Madonna is an exception. Uh, Mariah Carey, every December is an exception. Tina Turner was an exception. But the fact that we are literally 25 years into her career and there has not been a single downward slant or scandal or derailing of any kind, I've never seen a career like it. And we're not going to see it again. All right, let's finish up then and do our favorite tracks, uh, three favorite tracks, uh, least favorite if we have one. I know some of us won't. And uh, rating out of 10. Uh, so Cole, as our guest, why don't you go first? All right, uh, my favorite track uh, is Virgo's Groove. Um, mm-hmm. Just utterly incredible. Every Beyonce, no Beyonce album is complete without a six minute song about how horny she is. And this is the best one that's just like, off the wall levels of funk and soul and it's just it takes you on a journey every time you press play mm-hmm. uh and then my second favorite is summer renaissance um just for taking in that monster of a sample and reworking it to make a already futuristic sounding song 
even more futuristic. And just that combo of putting her voice all over the place to being braggadocious and rapping her ass off on the outro about her power and her flex, you have to respect it. And certainly when I sing along to that, I feel that fantasy of being the most powerful motherfucker on the planet. Uh, and then my third favorite, and honestly third favorite, like keeps on spinning in and out in every single direction because every time I listen, my opinion on what the third best song is changes or the second best even. But I would say my third favorite at the moment is Pure slash Honey. Um, just for the utter dedication to the ballroom fantasy, even uh, sampling Kevin Aviance and Moy Renee, um, two legendary drag performers. And it's just such a great, fun song to listen to. Um, both half of it's, both halves are just incredible. And <laughs> rating, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm the super fan here, but I'll admit, it's a 10 for me. Tens, tens, tens across the board. I mean, yeah. you um, came this, in at the right time. Yeah, I figured this would be the perfect time to make my debut on the podcast. Absolutely. But this album makes me feel like I'm home. And that's the way that I have not felt about music in a long, 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 long time. Yeah, 100%. Um, my three favorite tracks are... Yeah, uh, Virgo's Groove, Summer Renaissance. And honestly, I was going to say Pure Honey as well, but it could be that as much as it could be Alien Superstar or any, or Break My Soul. Like those are all the the, the songs I've given like at least like a nine, which is, um, but yeah, the whole album's great. Uh, I give it an eight out of 10. Uh, fantastic record. Uh, least favorite if I had to pick one would be I'm That Girl, but I mean, the album has to start somewhere. Um, right. Yeah. Morgan. I am very into Virgo's Groove, but that's gotten a lot of love and it will continue to. Uh, so I will sh shout out, yeah, Summer Renaissance, uh, Break My Soul, and Cuff It. Oh, yeah, Cuff It's really uh, good too. I love yeah. that song. Uh, yeah, sick great. song. Least favorite is probably Church Girl, but. You know, there's not really any misses here. It's just, you know, varying degrees of what is your jam. Uh, and overall, I will give this a seven and a half. All right, Jake. Three favorite tracks. Not going to stray from the pack here. Virgo's Groove. Uh, probably Alien Superstar, which, you know, I, I didn't mention this, but a lot of this album actually reminds me a lot of David Bowie in in yeah. approach, in sound. I mean, down to Nile Rodgers. This is Beyonce's Let's Dance, if Let's Dance was actually not Blue-Eyed Soul and actually appealed to the, the actual parts of the genre that are more authentic. <laughs> so, yes. And I'll say, I'll, I'll be the one to shout out Break My Soul. I liked that single when it came out and it only got better in the context of the record. So, yes. Uh, least favorite, I fucking uh, I don't really have one, honestly. It, it's it's all pretty great. I, I eh, I, I it's an album that, yeah, it's too long, but also I can't take anything off of this. I give it a, an emphatic 8 out of 10. All right, which gives us an average overall of 8.4 for Beyonce's Renaissance. Let us know at home what you think of either of the albums we've discussed today, Chat Piles, God's Country, and of course, 
Beyonce's renaissance. We want to hear from you in the comments below, especially if you're a Beyonce fan. We want to hear what this album means to you. We want to hear where you would rank it in B's catalog. We want to hear all your takes in the comments below. So please hit us up. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, you can head on over to the YouTube link in the description. Leave us a comment there. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider giving it a like and subscribing to the channel. If you uh, enjoy what we do and you want to hear more, we do this three times a week and we have a lot of fun doing it. Thank you to Cole again for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to expand our repertoire of guests on the show and have people on to talk about something that they're uniquely passionate about. So that was awesome. As always, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, Chanel. It's all about seconds. <laughs>